Today we're going to look at the world, look at the state of the world that we live in. And I wanted to look at, zoom in on America specifically after we look at the realities of the world. So I spent a whole bunch of time getting all these statistics, looking at all these trends. And after I started getting into the presentation, I realized that that wasn't going to be the most beneficial thing. I didn't think that was going to be the most beneficial thing to talk about a bunch of numbers. Numbers are boring, generally speaking, unless you're a math person. So instead, we're going to look at the realities of the world. Then we're going to talk about something that's called syncretism. And syncretism is basically when you blend one belief system with another belief system. And as far as the world is concerned, there's about 4.3 billion people that live in about 7,000 different specific language, ethnic language groups around the world, all, out through, all throughout Asia, India, Africa, Throughout all those people, there's about 4.3 billion people who have less than 2% evangelical Christians among those people. And if you look at the average people group size, your biggest people groups averaging up in about 4 million and larger, there's some access to the gospel. There's some... Christians that are doing missions work in these people groups, these really big people groups, but then when the people groups get smaller and smaller, there's less and less access to the gospel. And a lot of these people groups are characterized, their whole mindset is animistic in its base. Animism. How many of you guys have heard the term animism before? A handful of you guys. Probably about ten. So, animism... If I'm going to frame animism, it's don't, when you think of animism, don't think of a specific belief. It's not a specific belief system. It's more of a way of thinking. It's like we might, we might have a, an, an outlook on the world that's framed by our culture. And for most of the unreached world, about 4.3 billion people, probably about 3 billion of those people are mainly animistic in their belief system, how they view the world. And what the term animistic means, it means that they are, they see the physical realm. So we're here in this church, we have beams, we have a ceiling, we have pews. In the material realm that we live in, they don't see that paralleled by a spiritual realm, but the, the spiritual realm is mixed into the material realm and mixed into the physical realm. So everything in these guys' lives if you're an animist, is based in this invisible realm that's co that you're coexisting in. And, and honestly, if we think about that, I mean, we're Christians. We believe that the Holy Spirit's in us and that Jesus and God are present with us. So we, we believe similarly in that we believe that there's a spiritual realm that is right here in the physical realm. But animists are more focused on objects, material things. Material things can actually be possessed by spirits and spirits can actually live in those things. So basically, if you're an animist and you have 
you believe that there are spirits all around you controlling every aspect of your life, your life is characterized by fear. And the big point I wanted to make about this is if you're an animist and you believe there are lots of spirits, people, if you see everything in your life, whether you prosper, whether you fail, whether your job goes well or doesn't go well, whether your kid gets sick, whether you get sick, whether your kid dies, whether your grandparents die, all of that stuff to an animist is what happens, whether good or bad, is determined by spirits, by the spirits that exist, that you see existing with you, coexisting in your presence. So the question is, like, if you're, if you're putting yourself in an animus shoes, what are you feeling at this point? If you're, if you're striving with these spirits every day and every night, if, if you're going to put a word to it, what would, what would a word that would jump out? Just throw a few words out there. If you think, yeah, fear. That's the first one that came to my mind, is fear. If your life is consumed by seeing every, every single detail of your life is determined by these spirits that exist, that are invisible, then your life is driven by fear. But more than that, what's, anyways, what's significant about all of that is that that is the state of about, well, I don't know, close to half the world's population are considered animists and animistic. What's significant about that? Nearly half the world's population, most of the unreached people, missiologists. Missiologists are people who study missions, study the, the state of the world, study countries. It's kind of like Christian anthropologists, if you want to put it that way. Anyways, missiologists all agree that animism is the base way of thinking of most of the unreached people in the world. So when you have people bringing in the gospel, how do you bring the gospel into an animistic people group? And the reason I ask this question, the reason I'm even talking about any of this, is hopefully to draw a parallel, if you can follow here for a minute, draw a parallel between the unreached, the animistic mindset, and what it takes to bring the gospel in there. And, and hopefully, when we look at America, look at our own culture here, to parallel that, and we can extract some things from our own culture and our own lives as Christians in the church, and maybe see things in our lives and in our neighbors' lives that we didn't see before. So hopefully, this is going to make sense as we get to that point. So, you're an animist, a picture of all of these people. And all these people, they're, they're, these are tribal people, they're black and very primitively dressed. And there's all these bubbles that come out all around these people's heads. And it's all these different spirits, spirit of bamboo, the spirit of arrows and of dreams and of bananas and of different animals. And this is one specific people group over in Papua New Guinea that a missionary, a missionary team went in and looked at, spent years learning the language, and after learning the language, started learning what these guys believe, what these guys 
are all about. What makes the people tick? What makes them do the things that they do? And this was just a very condensed, summarized version of what these people believed and the system that their minds and their beliefs were locked into. So, the, the point I wanted to make with that is, this is one example, this is the state of most of the people around the world who are unreached. Another example, how many of you guys have ever heard of the evil eye? Well, that's more people than I was expecting. But still, about 10, 15 people. So, the evil eye, another example of animism. Animism and the evil eye. The evil eye is a, I guess it's a malevolent power that is widely believed in, widely accepted. For those of you who may have been to other countries or been in other countries, chances are you've been to a country that believed in the evil eye. Uh, many countries in Europe, northern Africa, all the way over in Asia, South Asia, all the way over into the Americas have this very strong belief in the evil eye. And what the evil eye is, is this, this benevolent power that kind of exists over top of everything. And it has the power to almost cast a spell on people. And so the question is, if you're an animist and you believe that this evil eye spirit is always hovering and always present over top of you, the question is, how am I going to keep this power from hurting me, from causing bad things to happen? And to an animist, if you're putting yourself in the animist shoes again, you see this spirit being able to be affected by physical things, things in the physical realm. Remember, the physical realm and the spiritual realm are all mixed together. They don't just coexist side by side in parallel, but they're mixed. So what you need to do is you need to figure out how to make amulets, how to make charms, how to make things. This is status zero. There's seven different status, statuses of people. The IMB, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the IMB, is the International Mission Board. Uh, that's an offshoot of the Southern, Southern Baptist Convention, currently the largest evangelical denomination in the U.S., and they do a really good job with stuff, with presentations and putting stuff together. So this is a PowerPoint that they put out at the beginning of this year. Status zero. Each one of those dots represents a people group or 50,000 people. And status zero is there's no church, no access to the gospel, no churches, no believers, no anything in these people. Let's go to the next slide. Status one, that means they're less than 2% evangelical, but at the same time, there's, and there's been no church planning activity within the last two years. So the church, there might be a few believers, but not really any churches. And just look at, look at India. It's just solid red. Each of those dots represents 50,000 peoples or a distinct language group. And I'll look at Africa all over. Let's go to the next slide. All right, this is status two. Still less than 2% evangelical but there's been some church planning activity in the last year. So let's go to the next slide. This is, there's been some type of widespread church planning activity in these people groups. And if you looked at the average size, there's, this is, represents 377 distinct language groups. 
but at the same time it represents 1.5 billion people. So the average people group size is about 4.3 million people for each of these for each of these people groups. So there might have just been a few a few people planning churches in, in one part of this people group, whereas the rest of the people group doesn't even have any church planning activity going on. So all to say, if we go to the next slide, and let's go to the next slide. All right, this is between 5 and 10% Christian. And remember, uh, it's, it's, just, it's interesting to, to look at Mexico. There's a lot of Christians in Mexico, evangelical Christians. But we're going to talk about that in a minute, hopefully. China, isn't that surprising? Between 5 and 10% evangelical Christian. In, and again, this is, reflects, each dot represents about 50,000 people, so that means there's, China's huge. There's still tons of people who are unreached there. But I just think of, remember, Hudson Taylor just a couple hundred years ago and a couple other missionaries right after him were the first people to take the gospel inland in China and look at the explosive growth that's happened there. Okay, let's go to the next slide. This is over 10% evangelical Christian. Papua New Guinea, they're above Australia. And not surprising, America. A lot of Christians in America. Let's go to the next slide. So this is all of the unreached people, as I was saying earlier. If you want to put all those dots together, it's surprising. Look at Europe. Doesn't that surprise you a little bit? Less than 2% evangelical Christian. There's a lot of people in Europe that need the gospel. And then India just stands out almost like a sore thumb, quite literally. It's right down there. All right, let's go to the next slide. This is one, if you're looking for a way to be involved right now, the Joshua Project has an app that you can download on your phone, and it puts up a new people group every day. It has a couple pictures of the people, people group and a description of the people group, and that's specifically for praying. So I'd encourage you, if you want to incorporate this into your morning Bible routine or whenever you have a Bible routine. It's super, super good. I have this app on my phone and I try to, every morning when I do my Bible reading, to get out this app and just spend 60 seconds praying for this people group somewhere around the world. So, next slide. Animism. Let's go to the next slide. And next slide. And next slide. All right, that's the picture I was trying to describe earlier. Now let's go to the next slide. <laughs> and next slide. All right, one thing I was going to mention about the evil eye. So, it's not just people that try to get amulets. You see all these like things hanging in the tree there? Those are like glass eyes that people see as repelling this evil spirit. It's more widespread than that. Look at the, the eye that's painted on the tail of the airplane. Like... That's almost, that's shocking, isn't it? Consider, this isn't just some people over in the corner of the woods somewhere in a little isolated place that are thinking of this evil eye. This is very much developed countries that embrace this belief in the evil eye, even to the extent that they'll put an evil eye on the tail of their plane to keep that spirit from affecting the flight. All right, uh, another interesting thing. See the picture of the child up there? This is mainly in the Middle East and in Asia. People actually make their kids look ugly because they believe that if the kid looks ugly, they'll put like marks on them or whatever, so the, when the evil eye sees them, it do, it, they won't hurt them, they won't cast a spell on them, they won't cause them to get sick or die. Again, like, 
just looking under the surface, what's causing these people to do the things that they're doing? Like, if you actually take the time to make your kid look ugly or to go out into the market and spend your hard-earned money to buy these things, to hang them on your door. There's another, see that little package of garlic and there's beads, there's a horn, there's a whole bunch of stuff hanging on that doorpost. Like, you really, really believe this stuff to hang that on your door, to put that together. So, let's go to the next slide. Folk religion. Oh, wow, that really doesn't show up well. So, folk religion is what happens when you take a larger faith, if you will, Christianity, Islam, Catholicism, and bring it into an animistic context. And if you're not careful, the result will be folk religion. Uh, I'll actually skip reading that, because I can basically just explain it in person. It's a mixture of traditional beliefs and practices with the formal religion, i.e. Christianity, Islam. It's a mixture. We have, we have belief in the evil eye. Let's flip to the next slide. Or belief in these other spirits. And if you're not careful, you'll bring in Christianity and you'll mix it right in. The people will mix it right into their original beliefs. First time I saw this picture, it absolutely made my heart sick. Made my, gave, ran chills up my spine, got goosebumps. Just try to like capture what, what's the, what's behind this picture? What's causing these amulets, these charms to be made in the first place? What causes it is folk religion. People bringing in a higher religion, Christianity, Islam, in this case it's Christianity or Catholicism. And from, if you're putting yourself in the shoes of an animist again, what are you trying to do? You see yourself as all these different spirits all around you. And you see yourself as trying to manipulate these spirits to cause things to go well for you or not to go poorly for you. So you're going to call... Oh, fun. Um, you're going to cause... Okay. You're going to try to harness every power possible to to cause this to work, to cause things to go well for you. So if you have that picture, if you remember the picture there, you have the evil eye hanging and then you have a little picture of Jesus or a picture of Mary or a picture of the cross. And this, is, this makes perfect sense from an animist mindset. You're trying to harness the power of Jesus. And the more the missionary goes in there, the more the person who's sharing the gospel goes in there and talks about the power of Jesus. Look, he, did all this, he healed all these people. He performed these miracles. He's the son of God. He's this powerful, powerful person. They're explaining about the power of Jesus. If they're not careful, what will happen is that animus will be like, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's great. Oh, man, I want to hear more about this Jesus. And they'll even go to church on Sunday. And they will dress up in their best clothes and sing the songs. And all the while, they're just trying to manipulate the spirit of Jesus or they're trying to manipulate Jesus to make life go good for them. And at the same time, they go home and they're doing all these same other practices. And I have another really good example whenever the slides come back up. Of, I don't know why I'm still holding this. <laughs> well, I just like a security blanket just <laughs> there. So, another, um, I guess I'll just talk about it a little bit. Have you guys ever heard of Santa Mirte or Mirte. 
It's, it's a belief system that's extremely widespread, and it's just a couple thousand miles south there. It's not even that far south. It comes up into America. It's extremely widespread in Mexico and South America. What? Um, S-A-N-T-A-M-U-E-R-T-A, or R-T-E. Santa Merte. So, what that is, is it's a, it literally means in English, the goddess of the holy mother of death. And it's absolutely sickening to see what has happened here with the gospel. So what happened is the Catholics came in to South America years ago, like hundreds of years ago, and the people that were there originally, the Aztecs and the Colombians, had this system of belief in place where they had temples to this goddess, this Aztec goddess. And they had shrines, they had altars, they made sacrifices to her. But when the Catholics came in, they taught about saints, they taught about venerating Mary and Christ. And there we go. This is a picture of Santa Merte. It's, she's the goddess of death, the holy mother of death. And what happened was, they synchronized the Christian or Catholic beliefs in with their original beliefs. So they worship Santa Merte. Look at the bottom slide there, the, the one. That's a little shrine that someone has in their house. You have Jesus, a little statue of Jesus there, a couple statues of Mary, and Santa Merte in the middle. There's a, you almost can't see it on the screen. There's a Bible that's sitting there open. There's a couple pieces of fruit that are kind of sacrificed there. And this makes perfect sense in an animist mindset. It's kind of sickening in our perspective to think about, but they're getting whatever, they're trying to harness whatever power possible to cause life to go well for them. And this isn't just a little belief system. This is there's between 10, and milli, 10 to 20 million adherents to this belief system. That's about as big as the whole Mormon church, nearly the same size. And that's all throughout Mexico, all, even into the U.S. a little bit, and all throughout South America. You can go to the next slide, if you will. Look at this. These are all pictures of church down there. I don't know if you look closely at the biggest picture there on the left. You have Jesus, Jesus on the cross, and it looks like it's cut off a little on the other side. You have two statues of Santa Merte, which is like skeletons, almost like a female version of the Grim Reaper that they worship at the same time as worshiping Jesus. And if, if you look at that banner there, it's like, Holy Mother of Death, uh, I don't remember exactly what that says, Holy Mother of Death, protect us, something like that along those lines is what the banner says above there. And then you look at the other pictures. There's a pastor preaching. You, have, you can see Jesus in the background on the mural on the bottom there. And you have another statue there right in front. And he has the Bible open, preaching on the Bible. Makes sense to them. Another picture. Look, you have Jesus over on the one side in the one corner, and then you have another statue on the other side of Santa Mirte. Mirte. Ah, I need to learn to pronounce that. So, and that's, this is church for these guys. This is church. This is their version of Christianity. Go to the next slide. Syncretism. This is basically classic syncretism. Everything gets mixed into one. You have the original belief system, and if you're not careful, you have your pot, and your pot's already full before you even bring the, church, the Christianity, and before you even bring the gospel in. That pot is full. There's an original belief system there, and 
I like to put it like this almost. If we're, we're all here in church, we have a belief system that we embrace fully, which is Christianity. If we were to have a Muslim person come in here and start teaching today, we might, we'll, we'd probably listen to their message. But unless we fully see that message as more powerful, that the God that they present is more powerful or more significant and exclusive, then what's going to happen is syncretism. You're going to mix it in or you're just going to reject it, one or the other. But if you even do adopt it, it's really easy to accept it. So the question I want to ask is, well, actually, let's go to the next slide. I think we want to talk about Bible. I'm not going to talk a lot about this. I don't have a whole lot of time. I was thinking about syncretism in the Bible. It's everywhere. Everywhere. The gospel is fighting against syncretism. So if you think about the early, the days of the early church, the first century, the time that the gospel was written in the time frame in the Roman Empire, everyone's polytheistic, meaning they worship many gods. And you see the gospel clashing with this time and time again. You have God as supreme over everything, the exclusive way. We talked about exclusive We talked about the exclusive gospel last week and the exclusivity of the gospel. I was thinking of Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. I don't know if you're familiar with that. These guys, the Jews that became Christians wanted to bring the Jewish faith and mix it right in with Christianity and keep practicing the same things that the Jews always practiced. All right, and all throughout the Old Testament, Israel had the same problem. Pretty much look at all of Israel's history. They had the same issues. They're, they would worship God, but at the same time, they'd build a golden calf. They'd build other idols, and they would try to mix them in with the one true God. And God always responded by saying, you are not worshiping me. You missed the point. So, let's move on. Next slide. And let's just go to the next slide. So, big point I wanted to make here. Lots of belief systems around the world. I could probably put about a thousand other pictures up there that represented different, specific, unique belief systems that are in place. And I want to ask the question, how do you bring the gospel to a place that is animistic, that has an embedded belief system that's been ingrained for thousands of years, and do that without causing syncretism to happen? We can go to the next slide. So, this is just a really basic way that I put it together. People must see God as the only way, as the only God, and that he is sovereign over all of creation, not just part of it. He's not just a little thing that you add in another spirit to worship, but he, he, teaching has to take place in a way that they see God as more powerful and as the only one who, even if they still believe in their spirits for a little while, they see God as the one who created everything and the, created the spirits that they worship in the first place. That has to take place. And the only way to do that is to learn what, what people believe, learn what they believe, and then teach in a way that meets them where they're at. And hopefully this is making sense. I want to take everything we've been talking about here and I want to bring it into America, bring it into our own culture here in a minute. So let's go to the next slide. All right. America. This is, uh, so I spent like 12 hours or more this last week looking at all these statistics, all these trends, and I really wanted to, I built these slides and I really wanted to talk about 
spend a long time talking about this, but decide at the last minute that numbers are boring and probably put a bunch of you guys to sleep. So let's go to the next slide. I want to ask, as we consider this whole series about evangelism, discipleship, when we go out to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and even looking at ourselves in our own lives, is this pot full? We can go to the next slide. Is this pot already full before the gospel comes in? In America here, when we take the gospel out to our friends, our families, our coworkers, or even looking at our own lives, are we Americans who are Christians? Or are we Christians who happen to be American? That's a very, very important distinction to make. Yeah, the people have this pot that's full. Maybe you grew up as a Christian your whole life, and being American and being Christian has just been absolutely woven together the whole time. And that's not inherently bad or inherently wrong. Let me go to the next slide. The question is, is the Bible the thing that fills that pot before anything else? Because we can easily take the American dream and freedom and mix that right in with Christianity. I had a whole bunch of pictures I wanted to show. It just showed how this has been done all across America, how you have Jesus mixed with freedom, Jesus mixed with patriotism, Jesus mixed with America. And it's the same thing of syncretism that we're looking at everywhere else, but syncretism in America where people have taken the American dream, what America is, and mixed it in. So, again, the question I would ask everyone today to consider in our own lives, but especially to consider as we look at going out and taking the gospel to our friends, coworkers, neighbors, whoever we come in contact with, what's, what's in their pot? What's filling their life up before we even come to them, before they, they even get the gospel? We can go to the next slide. So I'm going to ask that same question. What, what is filling the pot? Are we going to, when we bring in the gospel, when we're bringing the gospel to our coworkers, or just have an opportunity to share in people's lives, to come in and build a friendship with people? Like, we can start learning. Next week, we're going to jump into evangelism, discipleship, and what it means to do that here, relevantly, in America. But the biggest thing I want to communicate here is when we share the gospel, is it just a set of words? Is it just an idea that we're going to throw out, regurgitate, cough out on somebody, cough out Bible verses? And I would say no. No. I mean, that might work. That might be helpful. God's Spirit is powerful and can use it in people's lives. But the wisest way to go about discipling people, sharing the gospel with people, is to recognize what's in that pot ahead of time. Recognize who they are, what they believe, why they believe it, and then go from that point, meeting them where they're at, and showing the gospel 
is more powerful, more important, better, that God is real and God is a reality. But more than that, they'll see it through your lives. And we're going to talk about this stuff next week. But your life is the greatest testimony to the gospel in people's lives when you go and you're sharing that with people. But again, when you're sharing the gospel, when you have an opportunity to connect with people, to talk with people, you've got to consider what's in that pot. What's there before? Is it, is it the American dream? Is it materialism? And even as we're looking at that, people, this is another really good statement, I think. People can only grow as far as you can grow. They will replicate who you are. If you disciple someone, lead, lead someone to Christ, they're going to be just like you. I mean, not that the Spirit can't be working and take them far beyond where you are, but by default, they're going to be looking to you for their cues, for what Christianity is and what it means to be a Christian. And if you're just living the American dream and you've, in your own life, have synchronized Christianity with the American dream, then that's exactly what they're going to do as well. So, something to be mindful of. Something I can see in my heart as a major tendency. And if you guys, I would, I would encourage you to, to go and pray. Just lay yourself bare before the Lord and ask, God, has this happened in my life? And just be honest with the Lord because he has already seen it all. He knows our hearts. It's just up to us to, to acknowledge that or not. The, the idea, the trends that I've seen show that mostly conservatives. Conservatives, part of what it means to be a conservative Christian in America today is to be Christian. And so you come to church just because that's what you do as an American. The reason you show up at church every Sunday is just because it's what you do as a Christian, as an American. Danger that we all face too as Americans. Are we just conservative? Are we just American? And again, I'll say what I said earlier. Are we Americans who happen to be Christians or are we Christians who happen to be Americans? Next week, evangelism, discipleship in the church. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. So a couple of the principles I touched on at the end, we're going to dive a lot deeper into. Look at some scripture, hopefully, and just talk about what it looks like to do evangelism right here in Calhoun County with our neighbors, coworkers, and to disciple people, to go from sharing the gospel and someone getting saved, accepting Christ as their Savior, to bringing them to maturity in Christ, to discipling them and walking them through what it means to be a Christian.